You know, it's kind of like when you put the book down and you just have this deep feeling of sorrow, like I don't get to read that book again for the first time. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. I love books. I love to read, and I know that many of you do too. So this week, we're going to have a simple, fun episode where we talk about 10 books, five of which will be from me, things that I think people in the TMBA audience might enjoy reading for inspiration or for pleasure. And my friend Taylor Pearson from taylorpearson.me is going to mention five timeless business books, business books that would be worth reading more than once. We'll also use this as an excuse to mention a lot of other books too. So if you're interested, if you're looking for things to read, this is the episode for you. Also, we'd love your recommendations as always. This episode's show notes will be at tropicalmba.com slash books. Go through my criteria first. One of my criteria was nothing read in the last six months because I am very credulous. And so if I read something recently, I tend to overvalue it. So I threw out everything I've read in the last six months. But one book I'm reading in the last six months is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz. And one thing he says that resonated with me is the hardest skill in business is managing your own psychology. And so I found that to be true in the first book I picked, which was all about managing my own psychology is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It's like before you get into anything else, understanding your own psychology and what you're doing. And I remember the first time I read this book, it was like a religious transcendental experience. <laughs> I can't read the book at night. I like Every time I read it, I want to run through a wall. And Pressfield like defines this concept, the resistance, which if you haven't read it, it's basically like this like gnawing, nagging thought in the back of your head. And he just articulates it like so clearly and basically like gives you an enemy, like this enemy of what's trying to stop you from realizing your best creative work. And so I think about like the resistance every day as he articulates it. Like one of the things I think about is like, am I moving towards the resistance or am I running away from it? So it's kind of like a meta decision making compass for me. And so that's my first one. Also sounds like your criteria ought to be not one of these business books that has like a concept expounded on for, you know, 280 more pages than is required. Like this is a book that it's worth reading. Yeah, it's all meat. Yeah. There's no fluff in this book. And very clever that you slipped in an extra book as well. Yeah, like I'll do that. more of that going on. <laughs> All right, so I'll mix in my more frivolous suggestions in between your timeless business classics. I totally agree with that selection. I like that you let off with that. All right, Taylor, so my first one is Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Have you read this? I have not. It's been on my list for a long time. I've watched this show. I've never read the book. You could like find out a lot about people by the kind of books that they read. And I read a lot of midlife transformational stories. <laughs> <laughs> I still have hope for myself, Taylor. Of course you do. I could make a change. I could, I could turn this thing around. You know, Anthony Bourdain brings you into this world. You know, it's an underworld, but it's right behind the wall. And it's right behind the wall in every restaurant that you go to. What is it like? What is the culture in these kitchens? It's just an incredible journey, but also it's his journey as well, going from a guy who basically cooking in kitchens for the first 40 years of his life 
to now being an international phenomenon, a phenomenon that was driven by his art, his taste, his ability to write and communicate his experience with others. Now he's got the famous TV shows and he's got many more books. But the book that started it all that he wrote, you know, while he was cooking in the kitchen is Kitchen Confidential. So it's cool to see, to read this book, to know that it was the pivot in that journey for him. You said your stuff was going to kind of be like left field, but yeah, start with the cooking book. Okay, I like it. It's going to be seriously free for <laughs> So War of Art was a no-brainer for me. And then after War of Art, I tried to break it down into most important business systems and then best book for each of those systems. So I stole this from Richard Koch in the 80-20 principle, so I get to slide another business book mention without actually including it in my list. The four-hour work week is eerily similar to the 80-20 principle. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. The four-hour work, it's the same book, but Ferris is a better marketer. Yeah. It's a very interesting concept for art too. It's the popularizer. Like Richard Koch was this guy who, you know, had millions of dollars falling out of his left pocket and was in the field doing all this stuff and wrote down all these principles, but not in a way that's really accessible. I think me and you had the same nose for Ron Davidson's The Fourth Economy, right? Is that here's a book that's saying really important things, but not in a way that's that accessible to people that don't have just a super serious interest in the history of this vague practice called entrepreneurship. And overly conceptual frameworks. Yes. So what I stole from Koch, though, was you can basically break down the three core components of business are business systems creation, management, and then sales and marketing. So systems create leverage, people create leverage, and then sales and marketing is what makes the pony go. It's what drives the horse. So I picked one from each of those. And then for business systems creation is Work the System by Sam Carpenter. So I think the other two options here are E-Myth Revisited and Built to Sell. So I could just slide in more books. But I've read all three, in my opinion. Sam Carpenter does the best job of the three. Like systems is kind of unlike management or sales and marketing in that it's not actually hard to understand how to make systems. It's actually like very, very simple. What's hard to understand is like why it's worth it. And Sam Carpenter is the better salesman. So I think once you accept that systems are valuable and create leverage, it's all downhill from there. And Carpenter is the one that sells that better than anyone else. Very nice. All right, so my second suggestion is a book called Vietnam, A History by Stanley Carnell, who I believe recently died. After having read Vietnam, A History, I've since gone on to read everything that Stanley has written, not as much as I wished. Unfortunately, he was a very busy guy, especially he was a reporter. So I think a lot of his writing went that direction into making books. He's got a great one about the Philippines as well called In Our Image. But in my view, his masterwork is Vietnam, A History. He's at these unique intersections of history in such a way that not only did he have the incredible taste and artistic talent and storytelling ability to tell this incredible story of a country called Vietnam that many of us have been to and a lot of us depend on for our businesses, but also he had the right connections. He knew the few critical people that you needed to know in order to write a book like this. So the book itself is kind of a miracle that it's able to exist. And if you've ever been to Vietnam or are planning on traveling there, I think it's an absolute must read. Yeah, he's like a gonzo historian. You recommended this to me. He's kind of got like an unfair advantage in a way because Asian history is so fascinating and no one writes about it because it's so inaccessible. Like you can learn to read Spanish, but like if you want to learn to read Vietnamese and write like Vietnamese history, that's such an undertaking. So yeah, I agree. That's one of my favorite histories. 
So my first one was business systems. Second is management. So fundamental management book for me and the only management book I've reread is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's cool, baby. Wow. That was one of the books I made fun of. I know of it was. I'm going to put it in there anyway. <laughs> a lot of people have this attitude about books. It's like, oh, you got the cheesy title. Everybody's read it. Do I really need to read this book? I get the point, right? Be nice to people. And again, like the same thing with work the system. Maybe this is like a, a theme through mine. It's like don't overthink stuff. The key rules, like the core fundamentals of like any principle, it's like really like, what is it, like five or six things? And so I think like all this stuff, at least me, like I tend to overthink it and to get overly complex. And when I just like get back down to the fundamentals of it, I'm listening to this like old school Earl Nightingale audio tape right now. <laughs> it's like all the same stuff, right? It's like nothing innovative there. It's just like hammering on the details, hammering on the fundamentals. And like, that's exactly what How to Win Friends and Influence People is for me. It's just like fundamental management. All right. Well, so let me then provide a counterpoint to that. I think that the audience, if they enjoy this show, would enjoy the sister ebooks, Be Slightly Evil and The Gervais Principle by Venkatesh Rao. <laughs> which, Strong counterpoint. How to win friends and influence people, in the words of Venkat Rao, would be for clueless people. If you want to be clueless, you buy that book, you go to the seminar, you do the team building exercises, and great. You are going to have yourself a successful career. You're going to do just great. But if you want to know what's behind the curtain, you imagine at that very team-building summit, there's just a group of people in the back counting money. Those are the people that have read Be Slightly Evil. I think that's an interesting counterpoint to that feel-good vibe. I don't want to shortchange the book by saying it. It's not even really that cynical. It's more of mapping how power dynamics work in organizations and the branding of certain people as clueless and certain people as losers is fun and interesting, but it's not critical to the thrust of the work. It stands on its own. Yes, from a pure enjoyment perspective, I definitely like Vincat's writing more. I definitely do make major life and business decisions based on it, but maybe for me, it like leads to over-intellectualizing things. In fact, I take that back. It definitely leads to over-intellectualizing things. So maybe there's like a, a personal balance to be struck there. Like you tend to under-intellectualize, maybe you go read Vincat. If you tend to over-intellectualize, maybe you go read Dale Carnegie. Fair enough. What's your next book? So I got business systems. I got management. My next one is sales. So sales for me is Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. Really? Yeah. You think that's better than my man Chet Holmes? So it depends. I think spin selling is better if you're a salesperson and you're going one-on-one. -on -one. And then Ultimate Sales Machine if it's better if you're a sales manager and you're trying to build an overall mm -hmm. sales strategy. So like if you're trying to map out a sales script for like doing cold calls or like an individual salesperson, spin selling. And then if you're trying to build like an overall sales strategy, you go Chet Holmes. That's a great distinction. All right. I got one. Have you read Andre Agassi's biography called open. I have not. I guess I didn't really expect to like this book. I'm a tennis fan. I don't know, vaguely interested in Andre Agassi. I always thought Sampras was the better player and a little bit more interesting to watch because his game was actually a little bit more varied. But I thought, you know what, I'll read this book. I heard some good things about it. It really made an impact on me. It was really impressive. Similar to, I think, what attracts me so much to the war of art. When you look at a life like an Andre Agassi's, you see that what that might look like in practice. 
And I think that that's valuable to me, whether it's business or tennis or Dyson onions in the kitchen. I like to hear the details of what that looks like and the struggles that you go through. And so I think Andre Agassi's biography is a great example of living that life of pursuit of excellence. I won the Andre Agassi Award for tennis when I was 12 years old in my <laughs> tennis club. You just get more impressive every day, Taylor. I, just... I know. That's really one of my major life accomplishments. <laughs> I haven't read the book, but I used to geek out on his stuff when I played tennis, and he was like a super inspiring story in terms of how he handled himself and how he came back. Another midlife transition story, by the way. He was one of the older tennis players. You know, tennis players tend to break down pretty early relative to other sports. The prime is much younger for tennis players. Agassi was still out on the court when he was 34 years old, so... Cool. So my final one then is I got system, Sam Carpenter. I got management, Dale Carnegie. I got sales, Neil Rackham. And then I got marketing, Claude Hopkins, my life in advertising and scientific advertising. So this is kind of like, I guess all mine kind of fall into the strain of like, don't overthink stuff. So again, like Claude Hopkins, I think this book is like fifties or sixties. It's like pretty old school. And it's interesting to see what gets overcomplicated and like what the commonalities are between how marketing and advertising was done 50 years ago and how it's done now. Like what is still around from 50 years ago. And then, you know, we almost got this far without mentioning anti-fragile, but <laughs> as per the Lindy effect, <laughs> if it's been around for 50 years, it's probably been around for 50 more. So like looking at what the trends are that he talks about that extend out into the future. I reread Anti-Fragile this year. Are there any other books that you reread this year? I reread The 4-Hour Workweek. Every year I reread Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl and Principles by Ray Dalio, which is the first 30 pages is like personal development-y, but the last 90 pages is this like really amazing set of management principles. And that's just like a PDF. It's not even published as a book as far as I know, but it's amazing. It's like 130 pages. It's the opposite of a business yeah. book. It's like zero fluff. It's a really good one. It's like negative fluff. Fluff like is repelled by the denseness of it. I ping myself to reread On the English Language by George Orwell every year. I went back and read more of Ron Davidson. I recently reread Lynchpin as well, Seth Godin's best book. At least that's what he says. I've heard Venkatesh say that he thought Permission Marketing was his best book. The one that impacted me the most was Purple Cow, uh, but I think it just hit me at the right time when I was trying to sell that cat furniture. And I was like, oh no, I don't have a Purple Cow. <laughs> What do you mean the litter box is normal? All right, to end this one, I got two epic books, like epic stories. People are interested in kind of going to a different world and learning about different places. One book that had been recommended to me for years, you know how certain books, you just kind of, you have cover anxiety about them. Like they just, you feel like people are recommending them, but they're not recommending them to you. One of those books was Shogun by James Clavell. I've heard about it. I know it was really, really famous and that a lot of people have read it and maybe that even lowered it in my esteem a little bit. Like, okay, it was on Oprah's book club. Maybe I'm not that interested, but it turns out to be a stunning book and it's popular for a reason. And I really, really was sad when it was over. The incredible story of the first British person to arrive in Japan and the crazy political intrigue that ensued. Some of the greatest dialogues I've ever seen in a novel where, you know, you've got one European who's 
at war with this new guy that showed up translating to the emperor, but has to do it, you know, somewhat accurately because there's another person that knows both languages. I mean, incredible dialogues, incredible stories. Probably if you're in the ribbon farm parlance, it's a it's a book for sociopaths to see at the highest levels of politics in Japan, how things went down. Pretty interesting. One other epic book that I recently finished is kind of like My Swan's Way. One of my great reading regrets is that I, I never really stuck with Proust. I've had a lot of people say that the final volume of Remembrance of Things Past is one of the greatest reading experiences available to humans. The problem is, is that you have to put up with Proust for a few years to get there. I found that to be very difficult. And I wonder if these people aren't just uh, justifying what they went through by saying that. <laughs> so, I, it's like the post-Whitewater rafting trip. Like everyone has to talk about how much fun it is because they just got done with it, but no one really had fun. Correct. <laughs> So take this suggestion for a grain of salt, but I recently finished the epic series, The Winds of War and War and Remembrance. It's by Howard Wook, who I can just imagine him in his New York City apartment, took it upon himself to tell the story of World War II. And I've read a lot of the more famous World War II histories. I think this is where I would recommend people start, even though it's incredibly long. It follows the story of an American family and the people associated with them through all the events leading up to the war and to its ultimate end. And I just think it's probably the biggest story that humans have ever created and told. And I don't know if I could point to anyone that's done it better than Howard Wook. So it was a pretty incredible experience. In particular, the second volume, Howard was a Jew and he really took it upon himself to tell the Jewish story. And it's just a stunning experience. You know, it's kind of like when you put the book down and you just have this deep feeling of sorrow, like I don't get to read that book again for the first time. So that's it. That's my final recommendation. Yeah, it's sort of like finishing Harry Potter, right? <laughs> exactly like that. It's <laughs> that feeling? Is it that feeling? Because I know that one. Taylor, I'm sure that you would appreciate the book recommendations of the listeners because you're always looking for new stuff to read. What are you reading right now while we're on it? People that have stuck around this long in the episode, they're super bookies. So what are you reading right now? All right, so all the things I wanted to mention but didn't get to mention. So I'm, <laughs> I'm rereading Anti-Fragile. Yeah, I'm, I'm only on number three. So, you know, I got lots of rereads to go. I have many close friends who have like read the first two chapters or whatever. And they're like, this guy is such a jerk. I can't handle them and other friends who just like won't read it and i like just keep hitting them like you gotta read it you gotta read. i'm like breathless i read on the internet some reviewer said it's one of the most important books of the past century and i was like forwarding it to them you know like it's one of the most it's not just me it's not just me it seems like a hard book to sell to people i guess and are we just delusional about it or what well, you told me that. And I, so I've had a lot of people say the same thing. They just couldn't handle the book. So I've started pitching people on writing basically like the non-asshole's guide to anti-fragile. Huh. It's like I would just take the exact same concepts and rewrite them because that's the problem. Like he basically does this thing where he has like this meta narrative of like incredibly deep concept that will blow your world. And he like pops it up and he's like, just in case you didn't notice, I'm way smarter than you. And then he like dives back down and like incredibly deep concept that like pops back up. It's like, just in case you'd forgotten, I'm still smarter than you. You know what I mean? It's like, and if you have that sense of humor, yeah, great. But if you don't, like I, I totally understand how he turns people off. And two of the most important chapters, are the groundbreaking chapters, you know, where he is clearing new ground. I think that that's what's interesting about the book. 
It's a critique of modernity, really. And we exist in this modern world where we're building systems and we exist in giant governments and bureaucracies. And he's critiquing what this has done for us. And we see it popping up all around. These like these practices that implicitly critique modernity, like paleo, for example, is a movement like that. The mobility movement is a movement like that. And two of the most important chapters are the ethics chapter and the medical chapter. And they're at the end. You got to slog through the whole book. Yeah. So I like the, I like your idea of making the non-asshole guide. What else are you reading? I'm doing some more Nietzsche. Good, Bad, and Evil was a game changer for me. So I'm reading Thus Spoke Zarathustra and then David Foster Wallace, Infinite Jest. Thus Spoke Zarathustra, I just can't stay home for that one, man. That guy's off his rocker in that one. Can't get into it. He's off his rocker in everything. I'm reading the Andrew Roberts Napoleon biography. You know, one of the things he mentions in the beginning of the book is that the 20th century has been pretty unkind to Napoleon. When Hitler took over Paris, the first place he visited was Napoleon's tomb, you know, to like kind of give the bro tap. The imperial wreckage of the 20th century hasn't done much for Napoleon's imperial legacy. And he really wants to kind of give a fuller view of who Napoleon was and what his aims were and what kind of person he was. And also they've discovered a lot more letters than they previously knew existed. So that one's been really fun to read. I think I've mentioned Conquistador, the Buddy Levy book about the Spanish when they arrived in Mexico and how that whole crazy situation went down. I mean, like so much of that book sounds like a joke. They had the largest, I think to date, inland naval war of all time in Mexico. They built ships from the mountains. You could imagine like 500 Spanish armed soldiers fighting like 50,000 native inhabitants. It's like, really? It just seemed like a joke. But this stuff really happened. And not that long ago. One of the things I like about, you know, reading a book like Vietnam History or these World War II books is like, historically speaking, these things are on our doorstep. And when we think about, you know, what our future lives like might look like, I think that there's a lot of possibilities, you know. Uh, reading history helps me to remember that. Also, The Writing Life by Annie Dillard. It's a book that I've reread. Really, really love that book. All right, I'll slide one more into The book I haven't reread yet, but was the best book I read for the first time last year was Finite and Infinite Games by James P. Kars. DC or Stephen Moody told me about that one. I think Vincat recommends it as well. It's one of those books like you finish it and it's like this is going to massively impact how I view the world for the next 10 years, but I have it's like so abstract. It's like almost this point of like where like modern philosophy is like reaching into poetry. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what that means, but I know it's really substantial. But basically it like lays out this framework for we're all playing games and we choose whether those games are finite or infinite. And that alters the rules for how you view life or how you view business. If you want to nerd out on philosophy, that's definitely one to start with. Very cool. So we would love your recommendations, tropicalmba.com slash books. And thank you, as always, Taylor, for joining us today. A pleasure as always. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.